Hello and welcome to Sporte. My name is Taylor and today we are joined by a very special guest from Melbourne Football Club, small forward number 24, Jay Kennedy Harris. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thanks, sir. It's great to be on. We just had the Sir Douglas Nichols AFL round over the weekend. So this round recognises and celebrates Indigenous players and culture. So being from an Indigenous background, what does this round mean for you? Yeah, it's an interesting one because I guess obviously there's a lot of stuff that goes in the media and it's a massive celebration. But it's also a good time to sort of reflect and think about what what it actually means as a whole, especially being an Indigenous player. So I sort of spoke a bit to uh, my own playing group last uh, last week about what it meant to me. And obviously there's two sides to it, I like to think, there's in terms of like a relationship between Indigenous people and, and the, the AFL. Um, one's a contribution I think we've made and we've had some greats to the game like Michael Long and Nicky Winmar and um, the things that they've done um, to stand up for in, Indigenous people. And then also the way we transform the game with players like Aaron Davey and Cyril Rioli. But then there's like the big one I always like to reflect on is how much it's given to us. I think I spoke a little bit about uh, in 1967, we were only just allowed to vote and considered citizens of Australia. And we've been playing, you know, football is probably the first place we're accepted in society. And then then on we, you know, we were able to make livelihoods for ourselves, um, have respect from other people in society. So it really sort of turn the wave for society and it's somewhere we're really accepted and it's probably somewhere we'll continue to keep heading towards because it's just such a clear pathway now but yeah I really like to, to look back on that sort of side of things as well as as much as celebrating um, just how good we are at football sometimes. How will this round benefit the Indigenous community? I think it's just like an extra spark or reminder you like to think that you know it's always there and people recognise it but I think it's always also always nice sorry, to um, to just highlight it you know, once a year, I think it's a perfect amount just to, you know, highlight the contribution. And it's great for us as Indigenous people to reflect on, you know, the contribution we've made, but also you know, how special it is to us. It brings a lot of happiness to a lot of communities um, and a lot of families. So, yeah, I think it's it's a great initiative and it's obviously taken off really well. All 18 clubs wore special Indigenous-themed Guernseys. So during the round, special Guernseys were made for each club. Do you think this made the round more meaningful? Definitely makes a big difference. I think it's just like an inclusiveness and everyone being involved. Yeah, I guess the, yeah, the jumpers are also... I think a lot of players actually design the jumpers for their clubs now, so I think that's a great way to sort of bring people in and share a bit of culture with them. And they all have their own stories. I think, you know, in history, a lot of people... They they tell stories by writing. Um, indigenous culture, a lot of our stories are told by painting. So it's a great way to include our own footy clubs in a bit of history and how we told stories. They were absolutely beautiful. Surely you had a personal favourite design. If you could, what Guernsey would you have worn? Oh, I do. I usually love the Melbourne one. Um, and I think most years we, we usually have the best one. But I guess every other club's coming up with some good ones. And I really enjoyed the Collingwood one. I thought it was, it was really nice to look at. So I think that was... Friday night's game. This was one of the first ones I got to see. I'm a Collingwood supporter. Uh, I absolutely loved it. But I think one of my personal favourites, well, this um, season, was Hawthorns. Just because, Uh, yeah. yeah, they included every club on their jumper. And I just feel like... It made it. It made it very special. And instead of just being in the competition from themselves, it kind of meant more. Being like that, we're all eighteen clubs. We're sticking together, and we're here together to support the indigenous community, which I really personally loved. 
Yeah, it's beautiful. So, like, recently there's been a lot of racist trolls and racist comments directed to Indigenous players. So what does the AFL need to do to stop this from occurring? I think the AFL probably does a really good job now, especially this year. I think a lot of people have seen the response from the AFL themselves, from football clubs, from other players, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous. I think, you know, the support's there and I think that's all it needs to be. Needs to be. I think you'd hope that it doesn't exist, but it's really hard to, you know, all it takes is one person. But for the backing of the majority of people around um, Indigenous people and, you know, the wider society. I think the response from them and to have a response is really important. It's been really good. So, yeah, obviously I'd, I'd rather see it just not happen at all, but, you know, you can't account for that. You can only, you can only account for what, what we do, the, the people who seem to have a, a moral compass. And I think we're at the moment we're leading the charge and doing the right thing. And I think every player has maybe felt a little bit of that, has probably felt a bigger amount of support than they have been um, downtrodden on by the racist comments. So when you see in the media or hear of other Indigenous players being racially vilified, does this affect you? Uh, yeah, certainly, because then it's, it's just a reminder that, you know, the world isn't all sunshine and rainbows. And a lot of the time, we're all good friends. The All us Indigenous boys, we all get on pretty well, whether we grew up together or uh, we've gotten to know each other playing footy now. So uh, usually... I'd send like a couple of boys have sent a message to say that um just let them know that I'm here for them and just a message of support. It's disheartening, but I think that's just um I think as you learn over the years being a footballer, whether it's racist comments or um just comments in general, that some people out there just don't have a lot of concern for other people's emotions. And I'm not saying that we need to accept it or live with it, but you just got to be got to be conscious of one person's comment or views certainly isn't the reality of a lot of others. Have you ever been racially vilified? Uh, not as a footballer, which is which has always been great. It's one thing that's been really good um, through my time and my career. But yeah, I guess maybe outside of that a couple of times, and it's certainly not a great feeling. But if there's one place I definitely feel at home, it's in the football community. As an Indigenous athlete and player coming up the ranks, did you find it especially hard becoming a professional? Did you feel disadvantaged in any way? I'd be, I'd be lying if I said that we weren't um, at some point. I think, I think just coming from our backgrounds, we probably don't have that professionalism drained in us from, a, from an early age. But the, what the, the talent programs do and the talent pathways do now to help create those habits is phenomenal. I think the, so the AFL has Indigenous pathways that start from, I think, as young as under-14s and you get a real taste of what professionalism looks like. So if you take that on board, and I, I believe I was one of those who took it on board, I, I was caught up to speed with you know, anyone else who might have had a head start on me. And then I guess once you get into the system with your talent, there's endless opportunities to keep developing that with the way football clubs are structured. So, yeah, maybe there's, at the start, there's a disadvantage, but if you, you know, if you've learned to put it in the work and whatnot, you can, you can catch up before the, you know, if you need to catch up before the draft date, you'll, you should be there. And if it takes further than that into a football club, then they've got the support and, um, and whatnot around you to, to catch up. Recently, you had a leg injury, so you actually yeah. um, carried off the field. So how, how is it and what's it like being a professional athlete with an injury and just watching your boys from the sideline? Yeah, it's a pretty tough one. I guess it's, it's funny that my greatest hobby is also my job. And when you get injured, you've lost your job and your, and your favourite hobby. So mentally, it can be quite challenging. And then there's a range of emotions when, you, when you're watching the boys play. There's... Some jealousy at, the, at times when you when they're going well and you just wish you were out there and, and part of it because you just because you're familiar with the, what that feeling is, and then I guess the um, 
there's the other side of it when things aren't going so well and you just you just wish you were out there because you feel like you could help. So it is a bit of a mental battle, but it helps build a lot of resilience. And, yeah, I guess if you attack it with the right attitude, it, it can be for the positive. You can learn to appreciate the game a lot more. And, you know, when you come back, you, you have a certain drive to, to play well and serve the club again. Do you feel that Melbourne has a great injury recovery process? Do they give you the support you need to recover quickly? Yeah, definitely. I think, obviously, this year, if you were to look at the, the injury list itself, it doesn't it obviously doesn't look great because we've had so many injuries. But the... Uh, the way we treat our injuries and whatnot, I think it's it's phenomenal. I don't think there'd be another club that has a rehab coach as great as ours. We've Daniel Cross, who played hundreds of games of AFL football, and he's still an incredible athlete. So we're training with each other, but also someone who's in incredible shape and played a lot of footy. So I feel like most of us come back and seem to play pretty well straight away. But yeah, sometimes you know it's a tough game and you can't stop a lot of injuries. But I feel like the guys who come back from injuries come back a lot better. So talking about your injury list, a few weeks ago there was a scandal regarding one of your injured players. So Stephen May, who was like the newest recruit, he was actually photographed one Sunday having a few beers. So he was forced yep. to apologise to the coach and also to you and the whole team. So as an injured player yourself, what are your thoughts about this? Yeah, I guess it's like uh, it's probably something that's a bit of a sensitive topic in in footy. I think as just a as a person and a friend of of, um, of Maisie and knowing how tough rehab can be, I can understand that if you've already got the what's happening in football in terms of his injury, and then you add in you know, some things that happened outside of the footy club, it becomes a really big mental toll. And he himself said he made the the wrong decision in how to handle that that mental toll and we fully accepted that as a group and that's I guess you'd hope that in um, you know times of stress and whatnot you'd make better decisions but I think we all know that people you know whether you're a professional athlete or just a normal person sometimes you don't make the best decisions when you feel a lot of pressure but like at at the end of the day as a football club we try not to worry too much about um, the action but more about the response and it's been phenomenal how well he's trained and whatnot. And uh, next week he's back playing VFL footy and sooner or later be um, in the AFL team. So, you know, as bad as the action was, the response is it's all we could ask for. So as he's a veteran of the game, how did yeah. this look to the young players on the team? Yes, it's it's probably not a great look. I guess you um, football clubs are a lot about unity and we like to have, you know, set an example, set it from the highest, set a great example, but... We want everyone to be abiding by the same standards. And I guess when any older player or leader steps outside of that, it can fracture that unity that we have. So I guess that's that was the issue in the end. But you've got to be able to move on and forgive. And if it's something that only happens once and not again, then you just keep moving forward and don't dwell on it too much. So I guess for younger players, it's important that they understand that it was the wrong, the wrong action. I think we made that pretty clear as a, as a team. If we had a brush past and accepted it, then we'd probably be setting the wrong wrong example for each other. But I don't think we did, so... Yeah, uh, and the fact he apologised straight away, he obviously knew he'd done the wrong thing. So I think yeah. the fact that he apologised and admitted he was in the wrong and said that he's happy to accept the consequences, I think that was a great sense of leadership as well, just accepting the responsibility. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, obviously we'd like everything to be perfect and rosy, but I think there's nothing more important than accepting your mistakes and um, you know owning up to them and um, realizing them and rectifying them. I feel like people learn more from making their own mistakes and and seeing what their behaviour is afterwards, or seeing other people make mistakes and you judge them more on the behaviour after 
their mistake more than the mistake itself sometimes because people are going to make mistakes no matter what I think under any amount of pressure or just it just happens so you've got to accept that they're going to come along the way and it's more about what happens afterwards that's more important. Yeah you're exactly right so you were drafted in 2013 how has your football changed over the years? It's changed a lot, I, I guess. So I, was, I sort of came in. I was um, probably not the most professional player, for sure. I was maybe had a bit of talent behind me, but the rest of it. You're just, still young. <laughs> I was very young. It's still pretty young, I guess. And then, um, yeah, so I started off as a forward and um, sort of was starting to create my career that way. And I sort of struggled through a few years of injuries. I had OP in my second season and really struggled to play. And then um, my third season, I tore my hamstring four times and didn't play much football at all. And then the next year, broke my my arm and struggled to find a position in the team. And then last year, I sort of got a clean run at it and uh, changed positions to the wing, which I've sort of made a bit of a home of now. And I'm really enjoying that and looking forward to, to taking my spot back there in the near future. But yeah, injuries are definitely been the tail of my career so far and not being able to find a real home in the in the 22 but I'm definitely feel like I'm past my injuries now and looking to rectify not being in the best 22 every week. Look you're doing an incredible job especially you're representing the Indigenous community you're representing them so well and you should be very proud of yourself but what advice do you give the kids out there trying to make it as a professional football player because obviously it's super tough and very competitive. I think you've got to really love it. I think if you if you really love it, then you'll you'll do all the work that's required, and it almost won't feel like work. It'll just feel like you're just moving closer to your dream. So I think just start there, and then as things get a bit serious, I think the best thing you can ever be good at is a good learner. So if you're able to make mistakes and learn from them quickly, or if you can be really coachable and learn from your coaches really quickly, because I've seen players come into the system with talent and be terrible, not great learners, whether it's they're too confident in themselves and don't want anyone else's advice or they um, or they really struggle with feedback. And I've seen them move out of the system and I've seen others come in with very little talent, but their ability to learn and, and absorb information has made them terrific AFL players. So, yeah, those are probably the two things. You've got to really love it and then be, be willing to learn and put the work behind it. So now that the AFLW is on the rise, we're third season in, they had an incredible season. As a male athlete of the game, where do you hope to see it in the next few years? It's been a great wave, uh, the AFLW. I've really enjoyed to see how it's grown and whatnot. And I've enjoyed seeing the, the enjoyment the girls have got from it growing as well, with a few, especially Melbourne being a big part of that. So I guess I, you wouldn't want to put a time frame on it because it makes it a bit hard, but I'd... Ideally, I'd love to see it become a, a professional sport. Um, I'd love to see the girls be able to play full-time as their career and whatnot. And I think, you know, it's only early in its, early in its stages. So, you know, the quality is still coming along and the, the grassroots systems are still coming together to help produce what will be a great league one day as the AFL took its time to, to do the exact same thing. So, yeah, you never know how long it will take. You know, the girls, there could be millions of girls who take up footy and it creates this talent pool that, in turn creates a great top-end competition. But, yeah, they're definitely heading in the right direction and I think it's more about just having more people involved. And football is a great community and teaches people a lot of great lessons about togetherness and whatnot. So the more people in Australia who are part of that, the happier I'll be. So I know the women's season's a three-month season, so they obviously work and have other jobs in the meantime as well as on top of their season. As a professional athlete of the sport, do you think that's tough? 
Yeah, no doubt, no doubt, it's tough. It's you know, it's the same as someone who's if you're a male and you're playing in the state leagues and you're you're working, you're working your regular job hours and then having to go to training at night and then playing on the weekend. That that player is always going to be disadvantaged to the the player who's who gets to spend five days a week working on their game and all their effort and concentration um, put into their career. So yeah, they they are in a tough spot and. I guess that's the tough reality of footy is that not everyone can be in that position. And at the moment, at the, moment the women, they're not in that position yet. But I, th- I think once they are, I feel like that's when the game will really flourish for them. Especially because they're including a few more extra teams next year and then the following year. They're going to have the equal amount of teams as the men come 2021. Yeah, that'd be terrific. And then, yeah, hopefully that, that creates enough of a... A competition, but I think the, at the end of the day, it's about the support they get. So you know, if anyone's anyone's passionate about the AFLW becoming a full-time sport, you, you've got to dig. You've got to you've got to have a dig and make sure you actually get to games and support the women because without crowds and support, it really makes it hard for them to become a professional sport. Also on Monday night, we had the NAB mid-season rookie draft. What are your thoughts on that? It was the first year they've ever done it. What do you think about recruiting someone mid-season? I think it's um it's a great initiative. I think so. If you're someone like ourselves or Richmond or you know anyone who feel like they've lost a, a player and they've got a bit of a hole in their in their list, it's a you know, it's a great opportunity to bring someone in. So yeah, I definitely see the advantages of it. And then there's some guys like the we picked up Kyle Dunkley and obviously. At, at the draft, we um, we didn't have a spot for him, but you know a lot of other teams didn't see a spot on their list for him, and he was able to go away, have a pre-season, play for Gippsland Power and and the Footscray and the BFL, and you know he gets his opportunity six months earlier than what a lot of others, uh, a lot of other players will get. So yeah, it was, it was great. It was great to see. I think it was 13 in the end. It was good stories all around for them to get picked up. All right, let's move away from the serious stuff now. I'm so sorry. I, right. I, I put you on the spot there. Were you breaking out in the sweats a little bit? Uh, no, no, we made it through all right. We made it through all right. <laughs> right. You're probably going to be like, whenever I ask you again to come on for an episode, you'll be like, oh, no, what has she got in store for me today? Yeah, I should bring, I should bring some notes prepared next time. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're doing a great job. But we're moving on to a new segment, which I haven't, done before. So you're going to be my like little bit of a test guinea pig here, Jay. Okay. It's called Locker Room Secrets. I like the sound of it. <laughs> you like the sound of it? Fun. Bit of a drum roll. So we're actually going to dig in and find out a little bit um, about the Melbourne boys. So the first one is, who has the hottest misses? Well, I'm going to go ahead and, and say myself. <laughs> I know you're taken. Besides yourself. That besides was a beautiful myself. answer. <laughs> You'll have to show your girlfriend this once it's um published. Okay. Um, uh, who Who's the next one? I'm trying to think. Uh, I'll go with um, Charlotte Viney. I think she's just a, a ball of fun. Um, she's great to be around. So it's probably the only reason I like eating dinner with Jack Viney is um, just <laughs> hanging out with Charlotte. Great answer. So, who looks at themselves in the mirror the most? Maybe Sam Wiedemann. He's um, and I don't blame him. He's a very good-looking man, and I think he just likes to admire his work um, every now and then. So, who is the biggest know-it-all on the team? Well, Max Gorn likes to think he knows everything, but um, and he'll argue his case um, till the sun goes down. But I'm not sure if he really does. I feel like there's um, there's a fair bit of dribble that comes out of his mouth. Dribble and a bit of bullshit, would you say? <laughs> I'd definitely say that word, 100%. you got to fake it until you make it, Jay. <laughs> well, it seems to be working for him. So who's the best team player? 
the best team player. Um, okay, Max Gorn's probably the one to play with. Neville Jett is also another one that's um, that's terrific to play with. But yeah, we've got a few injured at the moment, so otherwise I'd probably be going with Jake Lever. I really enjoy playing with him. Who wouldn't you tell a secret to, and who is the biggest loudmouth? Um, well, my own housemate, Chris Matraka. Oh, no! So, so my, my life is an open book because, um, yeah, if anyone wants to know anything about me, they, uh, Christian would have already told them without asking. Without it's public knowledge. <laughs> it is public knowledge. Wow, that's so funny. Especially because yeah. you uh, live with him. You can't hide yeah. anything. Used to be, I used to be a fairly private person, but I've been forced out of that. Yeah, you've been forced out of your shell. Who scrubs up the best on a night out? Jake Malksham puts a lot of put a lot of work into his wardrobe, so you'd hope so. Or the uh, or Oscar Baker, the new two gamer at the football club. He's um he's been putting a fair bit of work in his wardrobe. He's been the the most improved. The most improved. Is he dressed yeah. by anyone in particular, or is it just it, it's him? Well, it used to be dressed in the dark, so now I think he's actually put the lights on and, <laughs> and had a look at what other people wear and is starting to put some pieces together that actually match. It looks good. That's great. Who sucks up to the coach the most? Who's the coach's little pet? This is a tough one. This is a tough one. one. (laughs) I'm probably still going to go with Christian Petrarca again. Tell us why. I think they've just got it. They've got a real bromance, um, Simon Goodwin and and Christian Petrarca. I think, well, I think Christian loves talking to Goody. I think Goody maybe gets a little bit tired of him. He can be very, very high energy. But yeah, he's got a lot of love for him. That's for sure. (laughs) Who is always late? I feel like I'm not really offering many, um, like a variety of answers. But Christian no, Petrarca, we love him. Him again. <laughs> yeah. If I didn't have to drive him to, to training most days, I'm not sure he'd make it. I'd put him in a bit of a, a spot with the coach. It would ruin their bromance, wouldn't it? Yeah. So maybe maybe I am keeping that bromance alive. Yeah. Maybe you're like the love triangle. You have a bit of a third wheel the third here. Wheel. The unwanted <laughs> third wheel. Yeah. And if you were going to a rave or music festival, who would you take? Oh, that's a tough one. James Harms. He, you can't have a bad time with James Harms. That's so good. Well, Jay, thank you so much for being on the show today. We really appreciate it. We learned a little bit about your background. We learned about the Melbourne Football Club and so much more. Good luck for the rest of the season and we wish you a very speedy recovery. Thanks, Dave. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in today's episode. Have a great weekend and we'll see you next week.